This is what a farmer noted about the people who run Joe Biden and OSHA and the coming man-made food shortage. Biden wants to push OSHA into an extreme heat index for outside workers. You guys want to know what he thinks is hot? 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Let me tell you, here in Tennessee, it gets humid. And I push past because guess what? My girls still got to get fed, and that's my priority. By her girls, she means her dairy cows. And this is Secretary Powell under questioning in the House about inflation and the claim that the people who make uh, Joe Biden do things have issued that this is all a Putin tax. Given how inflation has escalated over the past 18 months, would you say that the war in Ukraine is the primary driver of inflation in America? No, inflation was high before, certainly before the uh, war in Ukraine. So that and plus... um, Zero Hedge has an article saying we're already in a recession. Does that matter, honestly? That word, that magic word, depression or recession, does it matter to us? Zach Abraham joins us. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America... Here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. So to weight loss, uh, see tomorrow is weigh-in day. Week number 14 looks like another successful week for my wife dropping unwanted fat from her body with Soda Weight Loss, sodaweightloss.com. So the figurehead was on vacation and the press gathered round, asked questions. Incidentally, they could block the press from being there if they didn't want them there. Same time, my dear mother used to have an expression. Out of everything lousy, something good will happen if you look hard enough for it. Mm-hmm. We have a chance here to make a fundamental turn toward renewable energy electric vehicles and, and not just electric vehicles but across the board and uh and that's something we should be my team is going to be sitting down with the ceos of the major oil companies this week and uh decide to get an explanation how they justify making 35 billion dollars no oh, how did they justify that are you going to be sitting down with the uh, ceos of pharma to ask how they justify making 360 billion dollars uh, off of injections that don't work? No, of course not. And the turn to electric vehicles, you mean the trackable ones? The ones on a power grid you can turn off? The ones that was demonstrated uh, when Russia started the war with Ukraine uh, that, that can be turned off via satellite? Those new cars? Those are the ones you want to push that don't do anything for the environment? The figurehead's family was on hand to shut down the reporters. Yes, one of the things that you may recall that I initiated was the international flat tax provision. Uh, we got 140 some nations to sign on to it. I'm coming. This is, this is my son Bo's oldest brother. And she's trying to tell me, Dad. Grandpa, pop, get going. You promised me we'd walk. Okay. What did you guys do for Father's Day? We had dinner. All hung out together. It was really Come fun, on. and we did puzzles. What did you buy the first lady? All right. Thank you, guys. 
So the figurehead there was sitting there talking about a flat tax that he got installed worldwide. Except that didn't happen. That that never happened. He's talking about the global minimum tax. Far be it for me to try to figure this all out, to bring on my brother and my friend and and great uh, partner to this podcast, Zach Abraham from Bulwark Capital Management, the chief investment officer there. Zach, welcome back to the program. Hey, always good to be back. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you got to hear that stuff from uh, our figurehead. They used to call him Uncle Joe and his family pulling him away. And man, I was stunned. Normally I get uh, great financial stuff from you and and you send me things that are important. I didn't know about this global flat tax. That's exciting. So everybody just pays. There's no graduated tax. The income tax is gone. Yeah. Uh, I just just, uh, heard about this. I haven't even had a chance to really dig into the particulars. Is this... Are they? Is this dedicated to funding global, you know, climate change and stuff like that? Or yes, it's it's funding uh, climate change and things like that, and getting everybody an electric car, plus uh, getting some of those self-spreading uh, so-called vaccines that uh, infect people. It's good stuff, man. You're gonna love it. That way, you don't have to get injected. Oh. It'll just float through the air into your body, and Bill Gates will stick it into you virtually. Yeah, you know, hey, I I, I know that you saw the the I know that you saw the minutes or you saw the quote, but we're Biden's bragging and he says, you know, we're the only country on the face of the earth now that's giving these kids these vaccines. And uh, I thought of you when I was reading it because I sat there and I went, Joe, you're, you're bragging. And it reminded me of that scene in The Big Short. You've seen that movie, yeah. right? The Big yeah. Short. Yeah. Do, do you remember when they go down to Florida and they're talking to the two mortgage brokers and they're, these guys are like bragging about how they're getting through all these no document loans and all that kind of stuff? And, and the one guy looks at his buddy and he goes, why, why are they confessing to us? And he goes, they're not confessing, they're bragging. And, and I just, I thought of that line when I was reading this thing about Biden bragging about injecting these five-year-olds with the, I, I, it just, man, it's, it just keeps getting more and more strange. It's really the theater of the bizarre. It is. And, and I want to get into, um, I want to get into, I think some people think it's an important question. Phoenix Research says we're already in a recession or Phoenix Capital Research says that. I don't know what you think of them. I don't know that it matters that that's the word. But since you said that, uh, let me have have you hear uh, this. This is uh, the, the figurehead talking to people who own gas stations since, he, you know, you're talking about bragging about shooting kids up. He has a different approach when it comes to pharma and gas stations. So let's be honest with one another. My message is simple to the companies running gas stations and setting those prices at the pump. This is a time of war, global peril, Ukraine. These are not normal times. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you are paying for the product. Do it now. Do it today. Yeah, a little different approach. Uh, hey, Pfizer, here's your $360 billion from uh, shooting people up with the poison. And and he's talking to gas station owners. Yeah, you, you know, Todd, here's where, and, and you and I have talked about this before, about it really almost not even matter. You know, it, it really doesn't matter whether the stuff is accidental or intentional. Yeah. I, I'm really, I, I, I'm really beginning to believe that when he says things like this, he's probably being sincere. Um, just because it's so stupid on the face of it that I just can't imagine anybody 
I, and I don't know if this is the right word. I don't know if anybody has the humility it would be required to make such a stupid statement. I mean, and, and, and listening to people repeat this, like the guy at the gas station walking out deciding what number he's going to put on the sign. You know, I mean, it's, you know, like if, if that, it, it, that's why I'm, I'm almost getting excited for them to announce cost controls uh, just because oh, it's coming. people are like, oh yeah, that'll, that'll bring the price down. And I go, no, what that will do is it will send all of our gasoline and distillates to other areas where they will pay the market price. If you, you know, you want to institute, it, it, it never works. These people try the same playbook every single time, um, try to blame it on the evil oil companies. You know, meanwhile, like you said, I don't hear him saying anything about the obscene profits that have been generated off the vaccine. Or have you heard him talk about Apple's obscene profits made off the back of essentially slave labor in China, right? He doesn't say anything about that, but he's going to go after the fossil. It's just, it's absurd. It's just. Well, and then um, you, you mentioned Apple. So a lot of their recent profits came off, became virtue of the medically useless, deadly, politically targeted lockdowns. Same with Google, same with Facebook. Same with Zoom. Yeah. Same with all those yeah. tech companies, uh, Uber, Uber Eats, that that all came on the back of that. Not to mention the wealth transfer. So yeah, it's clownish. And in the case of Biden, uh, he he has lizard brain. So lizard brain can remember a lot of things. And I don't mean to be blunt, or uh, I do mean to be blunt. I don't mean to be cruel. But there's a reason that you cut a head off a chicken and it kind of run around for six or seven days. It's because it, it, it operates, you know, largely off of instinct. Or you cut the head off of a snake, you're cooking the snake, it's moving, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it, yeah. You, you cut the head off a snake, come back in a couple minutes, two or three minutes, touch the snake's body and it moves. So oh, yeah. Biden has this, this you know, this, this brain memory, this muscle memory that's uh, cut gas prices, uh, cut them now, I did a flat tax. And he says these things in his mind. They're perfectly true. Like a couple of weeks ago, he said, I was recruited uh, to play football at Naval Institution. But I had a guy named Stahl back there. And uh, it's just, I, I, I didn't think I'd start. And you listen to that going, no, you were way out of that time frame. That never, ever happened. But in Uncle Joe's gourd, it did happen. So before we get to the recession thing, because I don't know if that's an important question or not. It might just be phraseology. Let me um, have you hear Jerome Powell. And Powell here is being interviewed. Um, Senator Bill Haggerty's from Tennessee. He's interviewing Powell, and, and he kind of sets him up, honestly, gives a long preamble to his question. But this is my way of entering into asking you at the end of this. Um, is inflation still the biggest worry, or are there other things that are bigger worries? Given how inflation has escalated over the past 18 months, would you say that the war in Ukraine is the primary driver of inflation in America? No, inflation was high before, certainly before the uh, war in Ukraine. So that's his thing is it's no, it's it was high before the war in Ukraine. And the senator goes on to say, so I'm glad you agree with me that that's not true. Um, so in the in your model and how Bulwark looks at things, where does inflation fit in for ordinary people like me? So I, I, I think it's a two pronged. I think it's a two pronged question. I, I think you actually phrase it pretty well. Um, if, if we're worried about like Weimar style hyperinflation here in the United States, yeah. Um, look, you can find people out there shilling that. I'm here to tell you that's not happening anytime in the near future. Uh, and there's several different reasons why uh, we can get into them. We've talked about the structure of the monetary system before the dollar. It literally, it really has nothing. The, the fact that we won't have hyperinflation, it, 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 
it doesn't mean that everything people know about economics, I'm saying does not, like if you print enough money, right, eventually that will create hyperinflation because there'll be more capital chasing more goods. That will not be the case here in the United States under the current monetary structure because there is, there are too, there's too much dollar demand. And that is exactly why we see these inflation readings at 40 year highs and yet the US dollar at a 23 year high, right? So um, I think that's confusing a lot of people, but it is inflation a problem as because of the knock-on effects? Yes, that's what I'm afraid of. So let me lay out to you kind of the way that we see it. And, and uh, I, I, did you want to set up the recession question separately or do you mind if I kind of pair those together? Yeah, let me just remind people. So there's, um, this is from Zero Hedge and I think it's an ad. Uh, Phoenix Capital Research forgets the forecast. says, forget the forecast. U.S. is already in recession. Here's how to profit from it. So I think it's advertainment or advernews. Ab- so yeah, combine them. Yeah. Yeah, so... so and this is exactly what I'm talking about. I, I personally think, and I can't believe that I'm saying this because we wouldn't be in this mess if the Fed had done the right thing even 10 years ago um, because they've needed to raise rates and normalize interest rate policy for a long time. And the reason why we thought they needed to do that was because eventually you end up in a situation like we're currently in. And it was inevitable. Um, so, but the Fed, in my opinion, is reacting way too much to their models as they always do. And they're not really paying attention to the, to the reality on the ground. I, they understand, and I've heard Powell talk about this, what is happening in energy markets is simply a supply side issue. It really has very little to do with um, actual inflation. And yet, I think the number one thing that they're afraid of is spiraling energy prices. So they're using monetary policy, hiking interest rates, to batten down energy prices, but that's not what that's going to do. What that's going to do is it's going to blow up the economy, right? So what I'm afraid of are the knock-on effects of this quote-unquote inflation because when they realize, and, and I think that Phoenix Capital, you're right, they're probably trying to sell something, but I do think it's immaterial whether we are or aren't. Personally, when I look at the data, when I see what's going on in housing, when I see what's going on in automobile sales, it's virtually impossible not to imagine that there's a recession. If if there isn't negative economic growth, it's going to have to do with anomalies created by inflation. Meaning in this environment, nothing is growing. Okay. It's just not. And, uh, and so I think that they're going to continue to raise, I mean, look, look what's happened in housing, Todd. If you you pull out a mortgage calculator, 30 year money in the case, in the, in the course of about seven months has gone from 3% to seven. Okay, that's an 85% increase on a mortgage payment. How do you increase housing that fast and not expect the housing market to completely stall out, right? So, and then you look at how much GDP the U.S. housing market, or how much, how much growth it contributes to our GDP numbers. Then you factor in the negative impacts of, of higher oil demand, higher fuel costs, uh, consumer spending. Um, I saw a really funny one today. They're like, well, consumer spending remains robust. And I'm like, yeah. That kind of is what happens in eight point when you got 8.6% inflation, right? Because you're just measuring dollars spent. Like people are looking at these things, in my opinion, all wrong. So I think that the Fed is on course to blow up the economy. Not intentionally, I don't think. Um, but I think that they're not recognizing the real villain or the real enemy here. And then where I'm afraid of, of what's happening, Todd, because remember, like, especially if you look at energy markets, 
the, whether we go into recession or not, that does not address the undersupply issue on the energy side. Okay. And if, and if we go into another recession, demand on energy drops, the price of energy drops even further, which means there'll be even less investment. And then the Fed will come back in like they always do. And they will pump the thing full of liquidity to revive the patient. Okay. And then that to me is when the real threat of some really malicious and long, long lasting inflation kicks in. Um, now, Will that be, will that prove to be hundred percent correct? Probably not. It's not the way these you know, prognostic, prognostications work out, but what you should be worried about, I think are the economic impacts of inflation to sum it all up. Um, because I think that is a far greater threat in the near future than, than runaway inflation per se. Yeah, no, that's a great, great, uh, very uh, scholarly answer. And let me provide one that is not the least bit scholarly. Um, when I was a kid, um, I loved the, the Girl Scouts chocolate mint cookies. And, and anyone who didn't is a, is a communist. When, when, when you were a kid, yeah. you don't, I mean, I, 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 I'm like cracking <laughs> for those things now. Well, I don't eat sugar. So, I mean, I don't uh, either, but I can, I can imagine you do because I just saw your face light up. Apparently you Jones and right now you're oh. Zach, your aorta <laughs> is lit brother. <laughs> don't come to me. Don't, no. You could do, you do your finances all day long, but never try to play me in a poker game. Just never try to play the person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at your yeah. eyes are dilated. <laughs> no, honest. Okay. So what I do now, what yeah. I do now is I usually just, I just give the girls 20 bucks because here's the thing. I, I, I'm not kidding you. You put those thin mints in my car. They're not even making it home. Well, that's what I'm saying. So my, my sister back before, um, I, I forsook sugar largely. I mean, I'll have, I'll have a bite here or there, but, um, she became a girl scout and that was before they started selling abortion and wrong sex hormones. So I don't, I sadly, I don't give money to the girl scouts anymore. But um, she had a bunch of those Thin Mints because that's all that sold. And so I got, oh, the, yeah. I got the feeling that, you know what, I'll just eat some. And I knew they were hidden by the couch. And so I opened up her pouch of Girl Scout cookies and I opened up one of the things and I ate like a couple Thin Mints. And then I went downstairs and then I was downstairs um, practicing throwing a hard ball against the bricks of the, of the fireplace. I think that was good for it. It was an unfinished basement. Um, and then I jonesed. And I went back upstairs and I ate some more. And then it, then it occurred to me, you know what? That box is half gone. So if I hide the box, she's not going to know. I mean, it's 19 boxes now instead of 20. And then I went downstairs and I jonesed. But then I got the feeling, well, you know what? If I just took a mint or two out of every other box, who's going to be the wiser? And this is what, <laughs> you know, like the people buy them. How come I'm two mints light? Oh, I don't know. It's a new, it's a manufacturing thing. Just China. And, um, I, I, I got caught shockingly. So I think that there's the, the hand in the cookie jar effect, but then there's the, this is a far different thing. Um, my friend, Eric and I, God rest him. We decided we wanted to make our own moonshine. There's a point to no this. Way. Yeah. I promise there's a point to this. So we decided we want to make our own moonshine. So we got vinegar and we got sugar and we got, um, I don't know how we got the idea that potatoes would go in there. Um, we got a bunch of that food as type stuff. We put it in buckets and we let it rot for a couple of weeks um, in a dark place out behind my mom's house. And we actually, it wasn't buckets. It was, um, it was milk jugs. So it had the lid on it. And this sounds like the prisoners that make the moonshine in the toilet. No, this is a true story. 
And, and yeah, no, I know. And so my friend, um, you know, came back over a couple of weeks later and we opened up like, oh, wow. So then we had to filter out the particulate matter and boil it. Um, and <laughs> we, you know, cause then it will be healthy for us. It won't kill us and yeah. we won't go blind. Yeah. So we did that. And I'll tell you in a, in a second, um, I'll, I'll tell you how that wraps up and then I'll apply it to what I'm saying here because it goes right back to something we've debated before. I debate my own mind on purpose or an accident. So I'll wrap that up with Zach Abraham as we continue talking with the chief investment officer, Boa Capital Management. One of the things Zach and I uh, kind of have in common is being gym rats, Zach, uh, weightlifter, former college football player, by the way, really good one. And myself, CrossFit guy, try to be, do my best. And there are people who think that's the key to keeping unwanted body fat off your body. It's, it's really not. Um, I, I am testimony to the fact that you can be plenty active in the gym and actually in really good shape and have a whole bunch of body fat that uh, is, is weighing you down and can harm your health and harm your joints. Truly, I, I would, <clears throat> I weighed a hundred and some more pounds than this. And it wasn't uncommon for me to go out and run seven miles. And I'm talking up hills, up steps through the Pike Place markets, up on top of the hill where Amazon used to have their office and, and lift weights for a couple of hours, um, jump rope, stuff like that and carrying an, uh, an extra hundred pounds. You can do it, but it's, it's not great for you. But I think the point for me is that's not gonna drop weight, not fat. Not if you haven't got the eating worked out. And I, guys, I thought I had it worked out. I kept track of everything I ate, I wrote it down, I kept a diary, I wore a thing called a body bug, which is a precursor to a Fitbit. It wasn't until I sought help that I got it all unlocked. That's what soda weight loss can do for you. I've seen people take off 150 pounds. You know, I've taken off 150 pounds. I've kept it off. They will help you because they're science-based. Find what holds you back because there's some foods that are going to lock fat onto your body. They'll interview you. They'll talk with you about your lifestyle, about the foods you crave. They'll create a menu for you, which is about kicking your body into a different gear where it treats carbs differently. And fat differently, it will use fat to burn energy or to create energy, to, to have energy in your body. Then it's science-based. Soda stands for state of the art. You know, my wife is doing this. There's a whole group of listeners are doing this. There's um, husband and wives doing this together. It's sort of a gift to themselves, but also to one another. And I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm still in pretty good shape for my age, but it is such a blessing to not have 150 pounds of fat hanging around my body. Running, jumping, all of that. Heck, I went skiing for the first time in my life and it was easy. It's sodaweightloss.com, S-O-T-A weightloss.com. So that's, that's, you know, and here we are talking about uh, health and, and dropping unwanted fat. And so, Zach, uh, we got that stuff out and drank it. Um, and I don't mean to shock you, but we got violently ill. We got drunk for about shock. <laughs> 10 minutes. We were drunk. Uh, we were we were violently ill for about three days. And oh, my gosh. So here's my point. Like uh, stealing is one thing. Stealing thin mints. But if I had gone and said, you know what, I'm going to make my own Thin Mints uh, and I'll put them in there. The level of insanity involved with that was like me making my own moonshine. And I'm sorry, but Jerome Powell 
and Yellen, Janet Yellen, they know they're making moonshine money. They know they're pouring vinegar and rotten peaches and potatoes into a milk jug and burying it in the grounds. When they conjure these digits, they know this. Like part of me knew that stuff's going to make us sick. Maybe boiling would save it, but Eric and I were too chicken to, to, to say to one another, let's not drink this. See what I'm saying? No, I, I, I no, I do, Todd. And, and I wrestle back and forth with this. I was making this same argument to my partner, a guy by the name of Marco, Marcos Bueno, who runs our algorithmic portfolio. And he's a brilliant guy. He's been plugged in. He, you know, to give you kind of his chops, you know, MBA from Wharton, and he, he ran the uh, commodities trading desk at Graham Capital, one of the largest hedge wow. funds in the world. So, I mean, he's, you know, he was a proprietary trader at Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, UBS. Um, so, you know, he, he really knows this stuff. And, and I was telling him that um, uh, uh, you know, we were having this argument, and I was saying they have to know what they're doing. And he looks at me and he goes, Zach, I think they know exactly what they're doing. And they see inflation or high energy prices as being a much bigger threat to their reelection than a stock market crash. And I looked at him and I go, what do you mean? And he goes, the wealthy people who are going to be impacted by a stock market crash, who are going to vote for them, will vote for them regardless, right? They're dyed in the world liberals. And he goes, and then he goes, when you look at the preponderance of the middle class, he goes, they don't own stocks. They're much more negatively impacted by high gas prices. So he goes, so, and I heard his argument. And I kind of sat there and I went, you know what, man? You, you, that could be exactly right where they're, I mean, because this is the situation and, and I don't mean to sit there and go, Oh, we said it all along. But I think when you have an understanding of what's going on in monetary policy and the economy in general right now, you knew that eventually the fed was backing themselves into a corner where they had to pick either the stock market or they had to pick inflation. They couldn't have inflate. They could not keep inflation under wraps and have the market continue to go up. Well, that's where they're at right now. They got a sword of Damocles hanging over their head and they got to pick, they got to pick their poison. And I think that they are, for lack of a better term, purpose, it's almost like a controlled demolition. Right. Right. To, to, to stop energy demand. Uh, but it could be much deeper because what they're doing, I mean, you know, and I'm a guy that's been screaming, screaming from the rooftops that they need to raise rates for years. So I don't want to sound like I'm turned, uh, you know, turning about on it and all of a sudden flipping around it just to try to, you know, you know, people play these games, Todd, that no matter what you say, I'm just going to take the opposite position. Yeah. Um, but, but now I'm watching them raise like this and the idea getting back to what I was saying about recession, the idea that you can raise rates this aggressively over this short a period of time in an economy that is as loaded down with as much debt as we are is insane. And I mean, it, it, so that lends credence to the fact that it is, it is abs that, that you could make the argument that it's a controlled demolition of the economy because I mean, that's essentially what's happening where, where I think people miss the mark is whether you have a technical recession or not, which is, which just means two quarters of negative growth, right? Contraction. Um, you have a real recession no matter what. And, and, and I think you and I have talked about this before, but in economics, You've got growth with what we call nominal growth. So when you hear somebody say GDP is growing at 3.6%, that's nominal. In, in economics, we have a term called real growth. And what that is, is exactly what it sounds like. You subtract the inflation from the growth rate, and that number is your real growth rate. So what my whole point is, whether it's a nominal recession or not, it's absolutely a recession in real terms. 
And it's going to be for at least the remainder of the year. Um, and I mean, the, the fact that people are debating whether there's a recession or not, I, 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 it's insane. I mean, yes, absolutely. There's a recession and it's most likely going to be nominal and real terms, but it's not even, I mean, think about it. You were negative 1.4% growth in the first quarter with 8.1% CPI, right? I mean, so you get a bounce back to two and a half percent growth in the second quarter, but you're now you're running 8.6 CPI. That will be the worst feeling economic growth of all time, right? I mean, that is a recession. So yes, we're in recession. There's no question about it. And it's just, it's just getting started. So let me see if I can bow this down, uh, back down to my level. So I used to be a manager at a pizza place. Okay. So when I was a kid, everyone else worked at McDonald's before that was cool. I worked at Savage House Pizza, baby, the Savage House. Yeah. Big time. So I used to have people come in. Would you get extra, would would you get to take a free pizza home? Free pizzas. One, I was the manager, buddy. So nachos, I I had the keys to the liquor cabinets. Yep. And so I'd have people come in and apply for jobs. Like, you know what? I just don't think you're Savage House material. And and it, so I had the cool job. Never thought of benefits. I loved it. I actually loved tossing pizza. If I could, if I realized then that you could make so much money in pizza, I would have just done it because I love making pizzas. Sorry. It's, it's enjoyable. It's like art and science and chemistry. I can see, I can see you doing this actually. I, actually I, I think that me. we should, I have a video. Of I know, but no, but I, I think that you'd be the pro we, I think we're onto something here, man. Oh, like yeah. a Todd Herman savage <laughs> pizza or something like that. Yeah. Right. The, uh, all gluten free. Yeah. But then I got my, my boys at uh, Embers and they already named the pizza after me. That'd be wrong. I can't do that. But oh, okay. okay. so here's, yeah. here's yeah. what I learned. Like you can jack up prices. So, you know, the guy was running, didn't do a good job with money. He was a really good guy. Loved pizza, but he was not good with money. So um, he was losing money because he was sloppy. So he jacked up the prices. All right. Well, that kept us afloat. And then I noticed who's complaining, the regulars, because they knew the prices. So I'd get the regulars coming to me going, hey, uh, how come how come the monster pizza is now 22 bucks? It was 19. Yeah. Ask Mike, will you give me a discount? Of course, I'll give you a discount. I'll give you the employee discount. And I started to go to Mike and say, hey, you know what? The regulars are complaining. Oh, they'll, they'll keep coming. They'll keep coming. And my revenues are up. My revenues are up. And then I started to learn about a thing called same source, same store sales and same table sales. So yeah, your revenues are up. In other words, your GDP, because you employed inflation, but real growth is down because now I notice all of a sudden that, uh, you know, I'll just have the medium monster. What? You always have the extra large. No, I just go with the medium and you need another picture. No, no, I'm good. So now we got to raise the beer rates and I'm a kid in high school and second, wait a minute. Maybe if you didn't drink all the wine coolers yourself, Mike, and, and, and I'm not kidding. Maybe if you didn't have your own softball team in here for free pizzas six days a week, maybe <laughs> if you actually counted the till, not, not the person I know who steals from the till, maybe wouldn't have to raise rates. But, but, and he was this dear, dear man. But that's, so is that a simple comparison of GDP growth versus actual real growth. Yeah, no, that, and that's a great way to put it. That's the, the one thing I try to encourage people is economics and finance is so much more simple than so many of these clowns make it sound. We, we, if you sit back and if you look at it and, and this, and, and, and Todd, that line of thinking uh, that you just went down right there and the way you're breaking it down, 
that's one of the ways that, that it's, it's one of the chief ways I like to look at things. I want to break them down and distill them to the smallest parts so they're edible for my brain. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, you've got this practical knowledge and, and that line of thinking uh, helped us make a lot of money in the real estate crisis. Um, it's, it's, it's produced some really phenomenal returns and, and it's something everybody can do. If we're looking at an economy where prices are rising by, let, let's not even call it 8%. It's more like 14% because the CPI numbers are rigged anyway. But when, when numbers, when, when prices are rising by 14, 14, 15%, somewhere in that ballpark yep. and wages are rising by an average of three and a half percent a year, you do the math. Right. I mean, of course, the economy is going to go into recession. Nobody can afford to keep buying. Right. You might be able to stagger along and keep up with it for the three, six months. But it's really basic. Here's the other thing. People are like, well, is housing going to crash? I, I, I really respect Dave Ramsey. Um, yeah. I think that he's done an incredible amount to help people. But he put out, in my opinion, and, and I captioned it and was trying to warn him about it. I, I don't know. But he put out a video saying that houses are not going to go down. He was emphatic about it and he was talking about supply and demand and new housing starts. And again, guys, I respect Dave Ramsey has helped more people financially than I ever will. I'm total respecter of his work, but he could not be more wrong on this. How in the world do you take something that is as base of a necessity as housing and increase the price 85% in seven months and think that you're not going to impact negatively the sticker price? Yeah, it's insanity. And people need to be aware of this. And uh, I mean, it's just really simple. If you want to use your pizza analogy, I think that's the best way to look at it. But just just ask yourself, are we going into recession? If Because remember, guys, usually what you should see in a normal inflationary environment, if you're looking at 6% inflation, you would expect to be seeing the economy growing by somewhere between, I'd say, 45 to 6%. So even that is too great, right? They basically inflation in a lot of senses should be partially a byproduct of growth or excessive economic growth, but that's not what's happening here, right? It's stagflation. Um, and so to think that you're going to beat out stagflation with high interest rates, you're not, you're just going to implode the entire economy. So what, um, what financial products, and this might take some thinking here, um, and we'll talk about uh, an event coming up with Zach in a second here. In fact, let me do this. Let me give you this question because I think this takes some formulation. What common financial products that people own now, whether they're a client of uh, Bulwark Capital Management or they're you know, going to loan or they have few assets, what f- common financial assets, even hard assets, benefit uh, from this madness, this lunacy, even if it's just for now, and which ones are most at risk. So I'm gonna I'm gonna feed that to you and let you noodle on that. Um, Zach Abraham has an event coming up. It's a free webinar, live webinar, 3 p.m. this month. It's on the 30th of this month, and you just have to register in advance. So um, I've seen these; they're extraordinary, and I want you to join me at this one. You do have to register at knowyourriskradio.com. So Zach, you, you do these and I think you like these. Um, can you talk people through real quick what that's like, but you only have 60 seconds because it's a paid position, 41 seconds, go. Okay, here we go. Uh, no, it's, it, w- w- man, we don't, we, there is no dog and pony show with us. Um, there's no bait and switch or clever marketing. Uh, we just break down our approach, explain our philosophy and what risk management is. And really guys, a really simple way to put it is, 
when we started Bulwark, we wanted to be the hedge fund for the millionaire next door, for the, for the blue collar hedge fund, as we jokingly refer to it, meaning bringing these more sophisticated approaches and sophisticated um, ways of dealing with risk, managing risk. And, um, and then we just like to show people, I really just get a kick out of showing people how it's worked and show them that they do not have to be constantly flirting with financial disaster to accomplish their financial goals. And as a matter of fact, by managing risk and drastically reducing our exposure to it and the volatility of our portfolio, we actually earn higher returns over time. And so just trying to get that concept through to people, most of these people, Todd, that are sitting in their stock market accounts because they think that's the only game in town. Um, And yet, if you go ask any of the super wealthy people in the world, that's not how they have their money managed. Why? Because they're already rich. They're never going to risk total catastrophic loss. Um, And so there's ways to do that where you don't, you know, our average client's about flat on the year, right? Market's down, what, 22, 23? Um, You know, there's there's ways to do this. And and it's not snake oil. So we just lay it out in those webinars. We tell you exactly what the returns are, show you how the performance of our portfolios, explain how they work. And after an hour, we do a Q&A session at the end. After an hour, you're going to have a basic understanding of everything we do, how we do it, and the results are yielded. All right. So if you ever wanted to ask Zach a question, uh, get get registered for this. It's um, coming up Thursday, June 30th, 3 p.m. PST, uh, West Coast time. I'm not going to say Seattle. Because if I say Seattle, then I'm going to get off on a rant about how the city is dead and fallen, but I wanted to see that. So uh, knowyourriskradio.com. <laughs> KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Czech Financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. So what common financial products that people hold um, benefit from this? We'll start there. And then which common financial products, financial products or even hard assets that people own benefit and which ones are most at risk from what the people who run Biden are having them do? So, um, First of all, the vast majority of financial products that people own are uniquely and historically exposed to what is currently happening. Um, and it's, it's sort of what's happening in the financial industry right now, especially in retail investment portfolios, is the equivalent, <clears throat> is the equivalent of the housing crash. Not in terms of severity or, or the systemic risk that it poses, but but the way that it's going to be and is being an epic rug pull. Meaning you've had 40 years of declining interest rates and subsequently, and it should be of no surprise to anybody, the financial industry began building all of their models based off how asset prices perform in a falling interest rate environment. Right. And that shouldn't surprise anybody, right? Uh, Humans, humans are notorious for having cognitive dissonance and you adapt to the environment around you. Uh, the problem is, is that the worst enemy for those products, which is risk assets, stocks, especially high multiple growth stocks. And I can explain that if you want me to, that's a little bit more, a little bit more wonkish. Um, and bonds, those are the two things that are going to get smoked the worst by what's going on right now. Um, with double exposure, right? They're interest rate sensitive and they're extraordinarily sensitive to economic growth. Um, so those are two things. Things that are going to benefit eventually commodities, but you really need to have a risk management approach. Okay. So I'll kind of tell you, and again, this is not investment advice. Do not duplicate what you hear us doing in our portfolios because we could not be doing this a week from now and you'd never know. So don't try to copy this. 
But we began, you, you, I think most listeners understand uh, where we're at on the whole natural resources, real assets thing, especially on the energy front, right? Yep. But when we saw that 75 basis point hike, I began to even get concerned about our oil stocks because they had run so much. Okay. So we did what we call hedge. We hedged the portfolio. The day, that Wednesday, last Wednesday when the FOMC announcement was made, we put something in our portfolio that goes up twice as fast as oil stocks fall. Okay. And here's people are like, why didn't we just sell the oil stocks? And I go, because they've got unbelievable values. They've got unbelievable cash flows and market is going to do what it always does in our opinion, which is way overreact, sell off way too hard. And what we will do is we'll hedge them that hedge, which is up 37% since last Wednesday. Okay. The profits of that hedge, are buying us more oil stocks, okay? So we're managing wow. the risk, right? <sighs> Those are the types of things, because if, if, if what I'm talking about goes on, Todd, oil is probably gonna pull back another 25 to $35. Those oil stocks will probably get pounded again, right? But I don't want to just be one of those investors that's being too short-sighted. These things, even if, even if oil drops $30, the majority of oil stocks we hold right now would still have like free cash flow of like 20 to 25% of their market cap. So, I mean, <laughs> where economically you shouldn't even be worried about these things, but that's in, that, that is the type of thing. The other thing, all part of our bond replacement strategy is a fixed index, a no fee fixed indexed annuity. It rises with the market, but it's insured against loss. Um, you got to get creative, but there's plenty of things out there. You just have to, what, what we, the way we think about it or conceptualize it, and this is the way that people really need to start thinking about this. And I think our performance says it all, which is the concept of these traditional investment vehicles. It, the concept is still good. We just have to find different tools, right? So that's the way we're looking at it. And just, and honestly, right now, Todd, they're really, even on the real asset side of it, we're hedged. Um, th that's how nasty this environment is. But uh, if we're talking about the next five to 10 years, yes, I, 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 you, let me just make you this promise. You're going to be much happier owning real assets over the next five to 10 years than you are the stock of electric vehicle makers, okay, yeah. or, or social media platforms. Um, and so that's the other thing. So it's not so much us trying to prevent loss. We are, but it's us taking advantage of it, saying, hey, we're not going to trade in our favorite baseball cards. But we're going to keep them, but we're also going to be realists about what's going on. And if you want to drive the price of this stuff ridiculously low temporarily, we'll profit off of it and we'll use it to buy more. Right. All right. So that's the way we're looking at it. Man, and I thought it was this fancy Dan back when I had to fly all the time uh, for corporate America. I used to book a fully refundable uh, seat on the flight before and after the flight I targeted. And the flight I targeted uh, was a normal purchase. And this used to anger the airlines. They always told me they're going to catch me. Nope. And the reason I did that is because when my flight was running late and they would announce it, so funny, I'd just pop onto the flight that was supposed to leave beforehand. Or I'd, I'd go to the one that's supposed to leave after, and then the, the other one's late, so I got my money back. No, nah, I might have to cancel. I'm so sorry. And one, I did this like two or three times, and someone from Alaska Airlines caught me. And they said, okay, are you doing this all the time? I go, every single time. Every single time. Well, you know, our system's going to catch you. You've been saying that for two years. You're never going to catch me. I'm hedging. That's what I'm doing. I'm, 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 I'm hedging. I'm hedging your system. Um, so not, not quite well, as sophisticated. 
Well, no, and, 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 here, and, and this is the point we're trying to get across from people. What is the downside of our approach? The downside of our approach is that it's going to limit some of our games. Okay, but what are we doing? We're managing retirement money. So let's say we make 5 to 10% less on the oil stocks than we otherwise would have. Yeah. But we also take the possibility of a 50 to 60% washout off the table. That's a trade you make every single day in retirement, well, right? Yeah. And, and, and I, part of it, Todd, is humility on my part because do I love this stuff long-term? Yes. Is this environment it, 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 the type of environment where I'm going to bet my client's retirement on the way I view things? No. That's foolish and that's silly. And right now, I mean, if you could just look at our portfolio, well, I mean, you can see what the market's basically done over the last week, you know, how crazy it's been we're basically flat. So that kind of tells you how hedged up we are right now. And I just, I, I'll tell you what, guys, this is just not an environment where you want to be exposed to risk. I, I look at the economic environment right now, and it reminds me of my college football coach, Frosty Westering, telling us over and over, boys, nothing good happens after midnight. Yep. And if you look at the economy right now, it's about 2 a.m. Yep. And I would say it this way, since I seem to be in the mood for simpleton explanations, we got trapped into, conned into, pushed into, cajoled, uh, hoodwinked from some younger friends into watching uh, a, uh, a video series, TV series called Alone. Have you seen this? Um, mm -mm. So they take people, they drop them off. It used to be on Vancouver Islands, and then they do some other places. Wait, so, is this Naked and Alone? No, is this Naked I'm not and Alone? A naked, naked show. You know that. I'm no, not no, I, I, I haven't either. I've just heard naked. of it. I hate that because I go I've into never a understood sauna. The concept. I always thought, why do you need to be naked in a sauna? And, you know, there's a generational either, thing. Man. There's men, and look, no offense to my listeners over 60, um, but there's this thing where somehow men over 60 think it's a really good idea to be naked all the time in the shower. Like the last thing they do is put on clothes. They pick their teeth, they comb their hair, they brush their teeth. And talk to you. And talk to you. And, right. And I guess, I don't know. I just didn't grow up that way. But so, no, this, there's no naked. I'll go one of the. Actually, a couple of the participants decided they wanted to be naked, but they blanked it out gladly. No, they dropped them off alone. Right now, the one we're watching, they're in um, the Arctic Circle or kind of. They're up in Canada, up near the Arctic Circle. And dude does this. You know what? I'm going to predicate my win on big game hunting. Everyone else fishes. They pick plants. Well, I hate plants. And I, I hate tree worshipers. And, and I'm going to yell at trees. And, and you know what? I'm going to walk down this cliff. And I'm going to walk down these rocks in this cliffy area because I'm going to get a great view. I got my bow with me. And I, literally, Zach, he's going, I'm going to kill a moose. I'm going to eat well. And it's because these other idiots, they're afraid. And it's, you hear this. Dah, dah, dah. Ah! <laughs> he starts ralphing. And my wife's like, why is he throwing up? I go, he's really hurt. People throw up when they're hurt? Oh, when they're hurt like that. And then you hear him going, oh. People. Broke his leg. The brother is walking oh where he shouldn't have been walking, talking into a GoPro, not looking where he's going, bragging, and, and he is literally displaying human pride, which the Lord tells us goes before a broken leg. <laughs> yeah, but, but first the fall. <laughs> pride and fall, yeah, the fall. Pride goes before oh, no, a fall. And so, but that's what I'm saying. Here he was. I'm all risk portfolio. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get me 2,000 pounds of meat right now. Okay, good. But you mean you're not going to fish? You're not going to put out a gill net? You're, you're not going to catch squirrels? You're not going to yeah. go before the berries are dead, which the bears are eating, and they weigh 600 and 800 pounds? 
You're not going to go do that. You're not going to gather bugs and grasshoppers. You are going to count on the moose. And to get the moose, you need to climb a cliff. So I I think that's what the kind of, um, you know, like they used to talk in, in Silicon Valley, the VCs used to say, we need, we guys, we aren't even interested in anything. That's not a thousand bagger. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, thousand, yeah, 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 because you're always getting thousand point returns, thousand time returns. But yeah, no, yeah, they have all the time, right? Yeah. Well, no, yeah, yeah, it, it, but that it, it's crazy how that attitude has, has permeated so many of the uh, retail investors. Meaning, we'll have these talks sometimes, and I hear guys look at me and they're like, you know, Zach, I still think I'd make more money just going in the stock market over the long term. And I looked at him and I go, well, I, I disagree with you, and I've got performance show the other otherwise, but. What? Yeah, I guess you could say over a really long term, maybe that is true. But you're 65. Why are we even having that conversation? <laughs> the way you make returns, right? The way you make returns in the stock market, the returns are what you get paid. The volatility and the price movement up and down is what you pay to play. Well, once you're retired, you shouldn't even be looking at your money that way. You should be treating your money like a business. You, you want your business to be run conservatively and consistently yeah. be cranking out profits that subsidize your lifestyle. Right. Um, and it really is sad, Todd, because the, I, yeah, I just, it, it is so the average retail portfolio is so uh, ill-equipped. I, you know, look at this year, this year is the first year on record where you have a drop of 20% or more on the S and P 500 and the 60, 40 stock bond portfolio, which is the go-to retirement portfolio for the first time in history is down more than the market Wow! because the bonds are killing people even worse. And we've been talking about this for seven years and I've jokingly referred to it as the slowest moving train wreck in history. Again, I'm not saying all these things to brag or saying these things to push people toward us. I'm saying them so people wake up and realize there is a better way. You have been hoodwinked. Um, Your advisors have not intentionally hoodwinked you. They've been hoodwinked by the system and they have bottom line built a portfolio that is, is not just not going to work is the perfect way to blow yourself up in an environment like this. And, um, and, and, and there's much safer, this fixed index, just to give you a quick reference plan, we started using these insured fixed indexed annuities. When I say the word annuity, everybody's stomach turns. I get it. I get it. Mine does too. The reason we use them is they are insured against loss. And they give you about 40 to 50% of the upside of the S&P 500. So you go up when it goes up, about 40 to 50% as much. You're insured at loss when it goes down. Okay, so what is the net effect of that over the last 10 to 12 years that we've been using them? Our average client over that entire time, we've had hotter pockets, we've had colder pockets. But over that time is average between 6 to 7% returns while never risking a dime of their capital or never paying a fee. Go compare that to the best performing bond funds in the world that's more than doubled it. And meanwhile, they were taking no risk. My point is, is that there are answers out there. You just have to be intellectually curious and driven enough to get out there and find alternatives. And, and we've done that. I love that. And um, I would point this out that the Apostle Paul, and you're going to think that this is me just going on a, a non sequitur. I'm not. The Apostle Paul had a set of skills um, and he had a God gifted him with a brilliant intellect he gifted him with a brilliant ability to debate. He gifted him with drive, with, with, the, with not, not need for a lot of sleep, with lack of fear. He gifted him with all this. Mm-hmm. And Paul used that to kill uh, Christians. 
Um, he -hmm. was there when Timothy was stoned to death and, and Paul may have thrown a stone, although I think he described himself as holding the cloak as the, of the people who killed Timothy. Um, he chased down, um, uh, uh, Christian children and families and he terrorized them with the law. And then the Lord Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and said, Paul, Paul, his name was Saul at the time. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you, per, whom you, you, whom you, uh, whom you persecute. And so he took those skills after Saul became Paul had his, you know, three days blind and he applied those skills for the good. So what I'm really relieved to know, Zach, is that there's no pre Damascus road Saul's in the financial system. I'm really glad to know there's no quants who are using the hedging system you just described when they can see ahead of time where interest rates are going to go ahead of time when BlackRock's going to order the treasury to conjure $360 billion ahead of time, the injection diktats. I mean, that would be really bad if they could see all those things coming and use the skills you just described to hedge. So thank goodness gracious, that's not going on. (laughs) Well, and that's, uh, you know, that is kind of the dirty underbelly of this. Um, And this is nothing new and people need to understand that this is what it is. The average retail investor, now your financial advisor doesn't think or know this, his manager doesn't think or know this, and his manager doesn't think or know this. So I, I, I'm not talking about your neighborhood guys, but I'm saying structurally, retail investors are the last leg of distribution, bottom line. And you know they are gonna be the last ones to made aware because what keeps the entire fun zone uh, running is predominantly retail money flowing into the system. And they're gonna, like I said, they're gonna be that last leg of distribution. Right. So, you know, they're like, well, if they didn't think these products work, why do they design them? I go, ask yourself that question again. Why do you design anything? Because you think you can sell it, right? Um, you can sell it. You can, you can spend 40 years convincing people that if they own anything other than stocks and bonds, they're going to be made financially destitute. You can sell it. Okay. If you, any professional looked at these fixed indexed annuities that I was talking about and laid them next to a bond portfolio, nobody would pick, and I'm talking financial professionals, retail people pick the bonds all the time. Why? Because they've been trained to think that the word annuity is bad and it can be, there's some really bad annuities out there. But, uh, you know, at the same time, if you tell them, what do you think about the word pension? They're all, I love pensions. Well, pensions and annuity, right? So, uh, (laughs) but you know, but they, why, why do you think that they've become to believe that annuities are so bad? A lot of marketing. And yeah. who was that marketing sponsored by? The investment companies that didn't want you buying them, right? They want you buying the stuff they yeah. sell. So, you know, if you think that you have the most productive or the most uh, uh, intelligently constructed portfolio, you don't. You have a portfolio that is full of all the stuff that they want to sell. Love it. Great explanation. Great explanation. I know it's an important family day um, for you. So I appreciate you putting aside the time to come with us. It's um, Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer, Bulwark Capital Management, Know Your Risk Radio. And uh, I don't know what we'll talk about next week. It's, maybe there'll be some financial news. You never know. Joe Biden might uh, announce a price freeze on everything in the country. Right? Something hmm. like that might, might slip us way into that. Well, hey, Todd, it's the next one we didn't talk about either. It, it, it's so funny, the stuff. He's sitting there ripping the refineries for high prices. Yeah. Now he's proposing a suspension of the federal gas tax. Okay, well, you know what? The, the suspension of the federal gas tax means that oil prices are going to go higher. 
right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's he, he's subsidizing demand. It, it's insane. That's... I yeah, I'm speechless. Well, that's okay because we're out of time. Your speech is good. <laughs> All right, celebrate with your family. Uh, go with God's good grace. Zach Abraham, knowyourriskradio.com. This is the Todd Herman Show. Please go be well, be strong, be kind. Uh, and hey, be on the lookout for that Damascus moment. Even if you know the Lord, be praying for that Damascus moment where the Lord comes and says, here's how I need you, not need you. Here's how I choose to have you join me in my work. <laughs>